Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Gathering Church, a place of grace. Sit back, relax, and listen in. Somebody praise the Lord like you know that you're here to have dominion because God says so. And there's only one God, one Lord, and one mediator between God and man. That's Christ Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody lift up his name and praise him. Praise him in his house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will. And be glad in it. You can take your seats. We just give the Lord a high note of praise uh, for this ministry, the Gathering Church, and your pastor, Pastor Arthur Shadwick, and his lovely wife, Pastor uh, Alvernia uh, Shadwick. We thank God for you and for all the saints and all the members and all those who are, who are making God's name glorious and great in all the earth. We give you greetings from your, your parent church, Bethel Gospel Assembly. Amen. This is great. You're in a great place where you can influence uh, young lives for Jesus Christ. This is a great mission field. Amen? And so when you talk about uh, dominating, how many dominators are in the house? You have quite a challenge ahead of you. It's real, but it's incredible because what's resident on this campus and in this community are future teachers, uh, professors, politicians, Lawyers and doctors, and they're here to get a foundation of spiritual truths through your influence. And so we just want you to take your theme seriously in terms of being dominant, because the Lord said that He has called us to have what? Don't, huh? Dominion, Amen. And so we can do it. Uh, we are we are dealing with. Um, uh, relationships because we are looking to go forward. We started the year uh, many years ago we preached a message on rational radicals and so we've been uh, pushing our people on the theme of radically advancing warriors. So it's very similar from the beginning of the year radically advancing warriors and, and on my wrist and on the wrist of these young men are these bands that I gave the entire congregation. We made about 2,000 of them and um, on it it says radically advancing warriors. Why not you? And that was the title of the first message of the year, Why Not You? And it's telling us that we need to go forward. We can go forward and achieve. We're getting tired of seeing the same old, same old, the same old issues, same old problems, same old conversations, same old uh, attitudes. And it's time to go to another level. Somebody say another, another level. We sung about another level long enough. Now it's time to go there. Amen? Amen. So we want to uh, continue to encourage you to have the spirit of of being a, a dominator. And uh, we're going to hit that theme through some things that we've been sharing at the church, dealing with relationships. And, and so we're going to get there. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to share with your people. We pray that you'll send the anointing that destroys the yoke and make the difference, Lord. And help us to either teach or preach or whatever, but to communicate what you will for your people on this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, says some significant words. And basically it says that they called them 
Christians first at Antioch. They were first called Christians at Antioch. And in calling them Christians at Antioch, we understand that it was a people who should not have been able to, but were able to dominate the thinking. In the Bible, it shows that the children of God, the people of God who had now received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, were becoming refugees on account of the fact that because they were Christians, folks did not want to be consistent. They weren't called Christians yet. But as followers of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were now being persecuted to the point where uh, they had to leave their homes and became refugees in the place, other places, including Syria, even as far as this place called Antioch. Now, the thing that got people is the fact that in, at Antioch, when we look at, at what's going on in Africa, we look at Libya, we look at what, was, what goes on in some of these nations, Somalia, we see people lining up at the border trying to get across the border to safety. And when, when we see these images, we see broken people. We see people who have been displaced, people who have no sense of the future. We have a situation in Japan where people have become refugees from the local locale uh, where the nuclear disaster has taken place with a tsunami. Most uh, uh, was prevalent in terms of its disastrous results. Uh, we find people who, who, who almost don't know who they are. You see the images of their faces and the brokenness, and, you, and your heart goes out for them. And I want us to understand that the same situation is what the children of God were facing in the book of Acts, claiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior had literally cost them relationship, cost them property, cost them, cost them to have a geographical relocation. They were refugees. That is what refugees are. But yet when they arrived in Antioch, there was something unique and different about these people. There was a joy. There was a sense of peace. There was a willingness to openly share the little that they had. And it was so powerful that the people observed them, and they were trying to decide, what do we call this thing? As they talked to them, they found out that the basis of their faith was in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And on that basis, they came in, into understanding that, that the thing that is making them what they appear to be a people of peace, a people of promise, a people of destiny. We need to name them. And the name they came up with was, was sent of God. The words in that text mean to be inspired by God. They were called to be Christians. They called them Christians because they looked like God, the Son of God. They looked like Him. They sounded like Him. They acted like they knew who He was. They acted like a people that had a strong foundation, no matter how much their world had been turned upside down. And so on the basis of the fact that they seemed to have it together, they themselves were able to turn the world upside right because they were Christ-like. They were Christians. Scripture says, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I will be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Psalms 17, 15. When we talk about domination, what is the Lord's definition of this domination in this day and age? 
we've gone beyond the times of Adam and Eve when the world was, was theirs for the picking. Was, the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, they that dwell therein. And all of this, the Lord said, have dominion. Well, whatever Adam and Eve had a right to, we don't have that anymore. I can't walk into your house and say, I'm having dominion. And I'm going to sit on your t at your table and eat your food. I can't walk into a bank and say, I'm having dominion. Give me what's inside the bank. I can't walk into an empty field and say, this is where I'm going to build my new house. I'm going to have dominion. What does God mean in this time, season, and time when he talks about us having dominion? Because nowhere does the Bible say he changed his mind. And when he sends me forth, who am I when I go out to have this kind of dominion that he sends me to have? Adam and Eve had a relationship with God that was wonderful and perfect in all of his ways. They clearly understood their identity and their destiny. But along the way, they fell off the track or off the trade and, and, and gotten mixed up and, and confused and twisted around. And what was unashamed about them now became shame in their nakedness. But under Jesus Christ, now that we've been restored and we have been clothed by his righteousness, so now the question comes, well, what is the, the image? What is the image, the name? Who am I as I go out to claim this destiny? To claim this dominion. And that's what I want us to focus on today. And number one, what we want to understand is that the people of God that went forth to have dominion and to be called Christ-like were people who had an understanding of lordship. That you can't take nothing and claim nothing or anything for the sake of our principle here. Except you understand lordship. Except you understand who, exactly who does God give and authorize to take dominion. When we talk about lordship, I have a definition that I've given it, and it's called uh, be playing perpetual host for God. Say that with me. Playing perpetual host for God. What does dominion mean? It means that, and, and some, of us, we don't, some of us don't know how to play host. We, we lost the, the the, the, the finer arts of, of hospitality. But, but usually when you play host, it means when a person comes in, you, you greet them properly, you, you seat them properly, you attend to all their needs, and it's almost as if, as long as they're there, they're the lords and master of that home. If they're going to spend the night, they sleep in the master bedroom. Everyone else gets displaced. When they sit at the table, they sit at, in daddy's chair. They sit at the head of the table. Hospitality. That means as long as they're in the house, that they basically have the run of the house, hospitality. And so when I talk about playing host, when we play host to God, we are giving him full reign over all we possess. But note the other word I use. I use the word perpetual. He is the perpetual guest. We play the perpetual host. In other words, that he's always in the house. And because he's in the house, when I look at the word host, the H stands for humble. When we talk about lordship, playing perpetual host to God, number one, it means we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And the Bible says, and he shall lift you up. Humble yourself. In James 4.10. The H stands for humble. The O stands for obey. Luke 11.28 says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Luke 11.28. So the O stands for obey. Then the S means submitting yourselves, or as I say, submitting your will to resist. Submitting your will to resist. Because the truth of the matter is that we have difficulty in flowing in obedience to God. That many, he says, many in that day shall say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do great exploits in your name? 
that at your name I prophesied over people. In your name that I lifted up the name of Jesus. And in your name I did some great works and traveled abroad and spent the word and shared the word to others. I did all these great things in your name. And the Bible tells me that he would say to many, depart for I never knew you. Because you were basically doing your own thing. So we recognize that this thing, obedience, and how do we get to this obedience? It means to recognize who you really are and submit yourselves or submit your will to resist what he tells you. I'm going to get back to that idea in a moment. So submit yourselves. The Bible says submit yourselves to the Lord. If any man, uh, and he, uh, submit yourselves to the Lord, resist the devil, he shall flee in James 4, 7. Uh, another scripture will say, if any man will deny him, come after me, let him do what? Deny himself. Take up his and follow me. And the last word is trust. To play perpetual host is to humble yourself, to obey him, submit your will to him persistently, to trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, 7 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understandings, but in all your way acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. To play perpetual host, humble Obey, submit, and trust to God. Yes, last yesterday, it seemed like I was traveling all day, but down in Maryland we were at a conference, and the conference we were asked to share on the idea of perpetuating or promoting or projecting character over charisma. Character over charisma. And it is a great challenge and a great assignment that we had because we live in a day when we're talking about dominion and we're talking about dominating, we're talking about being the, 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 the dominant voice. And one of the things I talk about in terms of church that grows correctly in its lordship is a church that has the strong in the body that will be the dominant voice rather than a passive presence. You need to get that. As you are young and growing up, it's important that we establish a ministry that has and, and, and allows the strong. The Bible says in Romans chapter 16, verse one, that we need the strong need to take up and to minister to the weak among us. And we have them. We have them. It's because we have them that we find a church that exports a faulty gospel. We have a church that projects a faulty gospel. We have a church that projects charisma. A church that projects gifting a church that projects deep theological thinking but fails to project the essence of Jesus Christ, his word, his nature, his promises, his victory, his deliverance. We project signs and wonders external, but we fail to project the internal reality of who God is. I hope you're listening to me because whether we want to be it or not, God has called us to be a dominant voice. In a time when the Muslims have no problem being a dominant voice. In a time when the homosexual agenda has no problem being a dominant voice. In a time when atheistic thinking will, has no problem in being a dominant voice. God says the earth belongs to me. And I have commissioned you, my body, to be that dominant voice that speaks over any other voice. But people don't want to just hear what you got to say. They want to see it. People just don't want to hear a good thought and good ideals. They want to hear truth and reveal truth in you. They want to see it. They want to touch it. They don't want to hear it 
in our gossip. They don't want to hear in our lying. They don't want to hear in our falling and getting up to fall down again and getting up. They want to hear it in consistent living. They want to hear it in a love that's projected. They want to hear it in the signs and wonders of reaching out to the lost and the broken and the bruised and the barren and seeing someone that will love enough and care enough to come in to express hope, but not just the hope of, of, of a tender, sympathetic word, but the hope of a dy- dynamic God who's able to step into the turmoils of people's lives and bring about a real transformation. And we sit, so many of us, and we say, oh, that sounds so good, preacher, but that's good for you to go and do. And that's good for the mega churches to go and do. And it's good for those that have the financial resources that you go and do it. But that's not for me. But God says the earth belongs to me. And I call my people that are called by my name who have humbled themselves and pray and have turned from their wicked way. I have made a promise to be a healer to you. Having forgiven your sins and having brought about that transformation, I now export you to let somebody else know about the reality of Jesus Christ, the reality of his love and his power to transform a life, that people need to see this in the AIDS wars. They need to see this among refugees overseas. They need to see it in the human trafficking. They need to see it, a voice, a dominant voice that rises up. And those who are weak among us, that we can discern who they are. Instead of, 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 of clustering around the weak, we learn how to yield ourselves to the voice of the strong, that we might have the dominion, that when they see us as refugees being chased on our jobs because of our faith, and they see us as refugees because we're trying to lift up the name of Jesus, and they, and they, and they call you every name but a child of God because, because everything you're saying is contrary to how they want to live. That when you're in those situations, you still stand and stand strong with a dominant voice. Instead of just being a passive presence. Just saying, well, I believe enough just for me to squeeze into heaven. God bless you. I hope you'll have the same journey. And so we recognize the who is about God bringing up a standard of, of who is going to be that voice. Who is going to be that presence? Who is going to be that example of domination? in the world and where are they supposed to go and the Bible tells us that in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that I want you to be that dominant voice I want you to be the one that dominates in Jerusalem and Judea Samaria the uttermost parts of the world I want you to be that real presence everywhere you go I want to call you into places that seem too big for you call you to places that will seem overwhelming to you. But that's why I called you. Robert Browning made a statement that basically summed up like this, that, that, that God will always put the deep things and the great things just above your grasp. Because if it was in your grasp, then what would you need heaven for? That there's always that sense of reliance on a reality of God that's greater than who we are. That reliance comes on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says that the fire came down on the 50th day, just like he said it would. I commission you. I'm going to send you forth. I'm not going to send you alone. But I'm going to send you with power. I'm going to send you with authority. He sends us with authority and the power of the Holy Ghost. Is there any geographical location that the Holy Ghost can't ascend to? Is there any place that he can't descend to? I'm so glad about the, the, the understanding of a God that ascends into the heavenlies, but I'm so thankful for a God that first descended, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Because when God descended, he descended into the, to the place of, 
ascend where, where he found me. That before he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He first descended to get me captive of sin. He descended first to find me in my confusion, in my place of wickedness. He descended first to find me in a place where I can confess that's my problem. Where you can confess these are my problems. Well, I'm so glad that he who ascended high, who we look on high, with all of these standards that we're supposed to reach up to, that before he went up, he says, I'm going to come down. And what that lesson tells us is a God who looked upon us and gave us standards, but he says, I'm also going to give you something to stand on so you can get there. And what he gave us to stand on was the reality of who he is. If we can but see him. If we can but take hold of him. If we but can, can but realize him, even in the midst of our own weaknesses, and our own confusions. And that brings us to the main point that I want to deal with. Well, then how? How do we achieve this place of dominion? How do we achieve this place of excellence? How do we get to the place where they call us Christians? Just by looking at us, even under pressure. Somebody said, you never know what's in a person until they're under pressure, just like a tea bag. You never know the flavor of a tea bag until it's in hot water. Some of us right now, under the sound of my voice, we're in hot water. We're dealing with some issues. And the question we want to know is, how can I get out of these situations and become that dominant voice and take dominion? So what we're going to do now is pause, and I want us to look at this video for about five minutes. Take a little time to set this up a little more. Amen. Somebody say amen. I'm starting to hear crickets. Amen. We we want to talk about this. Scripture says, listen, let's look at this scripture. James chapter 5, 16. says, confess, which means to be full and frank. Your faults, faults meaning missing the mark, going one so far. To confess your faults one to another and to pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen? Key word, key concept, confession. And there's the kind of confessions that we do. There's the kind of confessions that we make. But then there's the kind of confessions that God has called us to make about our struggles with porn before we get caught, not after. 
there's a kind of confession that was to make about getting help for our substance abuse or addictions before we got locked up, not after. There's a kind of confessions we should make about sharing in terms of our abusive temper before we lose our jobs and not after. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There are the confession of those things that we do and because we, we have done it. And the whole world knows we have done it. The bigger we are, the more people find out. The bigger we are, the more newsworthy we are. When we talk about this dominion, what makes us sound ridiculous to the world is every time we want to talk about dominion as Christians, they want to point to all the priests who have got caught up with abusing young boys. We want to talk about this dominion. They want to list all the great megachurch leaders who have fallen in sin, all kind of sin. Every time we want to talk about dominion, they want to list all of the sins of the church. And they say, is this what you're talking about in terms of dominion? If you're like me, sometimes you're almost ashamed to call yourself a Christian in certain circles after certain things become known. Especially as a, as a priest, to be honest with you, sometimes walking with the collar, I'm, a, I'm ashamed to walk with the collar because I don't want to be called a Catholic. I had people come and say, Father, could you, could you pray? I'm not a father. I'm not one of those. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. And folks don't know the difference. Priest, pastor, it's all to say, you religious man. So the few of them that still believe in that, they want you to pray for them. The others will look at you and say, mm, where's my son? Where's my child? Let me protect <laughs> And so there are times when it almost becomes difficult. It's not so much we're ashamed of Christ, we're ashamed of each other. And so the question comes, is this the way it's always supposed to be? Just try to find a situation where you're almost forced to declare who you are, and then you know what happens. Say, well, you have a problem with it? Go ahead and tell me about it. But most of the time, we just put our heads, oh, God, another one has fallen. And the question, the point is that what's happened, when did these men, how did these men and women find themselves in these situations? And what I want to talk about is not the kind of confession. When you have the microphones in front of you, you've got to stand up and say, yes, I did it, and, and I was confused and out of my mind, or, or yes, I did it, and, and this is why, and start making excuses and, and make apologies. I'm talking about what can we do before we get to that part. You want to have dominion. What can you do to make sure that it's not your picture in the paper the next time? What can we do about it? And what we could do about it is deal with the concept that's called, what I call, preemptive confession. Preemptive confession. That's where we're going to hang out for a little while in wrapping this thing up. Pre preemptive confession. The Bible says confess your sins or your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Is that question, that the question is, does that mean I need to stand up in front of the church and tell everybody my problems? No. That, does that mean indiscriminately I let people know where I'm coming from? No. But what it means is that we find those who are strong among us and those that we, we value among us and those we can come to, and there should for everybody be somebody that we can let them know, brother, this is my struggle. Brother, this is where I'm at. This is how I'm living. Realizing that in the prayer of brothers coming together and sisters coming together, not to talk about the latest yang-yang, but to come together and talk about the Word of God, that there can be change in your lives. Now, the video didn't come. It's, it's, it's trying, but it's not coming up. So that's, that's maybe because it was taken. Um, how Elder Darren, is it working now? Well, let's take a look at this video. And, and see if you can draw the rest of this message out of this video. 
We don't so much need the sound. This is good enough. We have water buffalo on the left. And what do we have on the right? Lions. You can imagine what's about to happen. This was this this video was actually taken in a place I've been to a few times near our our place in, in South Africa, um, uh, in a reserve um, that they have a reserve. I'm sorry that they have here. And um, you see, watch this. Just when you thought it was bad. Just when you thought it was bad. Watch this. Watch that line over there. Uh -huh. What's going on now? Watch what's happening. But they're still standing around just talking like we do when we see someone falling. We sit around and gossip looking for so-and-so. Did you hear about what happened to so-and-so? Look at it. Everyone's standing around until one, the strong, comes out and begins to put what? The enemy to flight. You seeing that? One stands up and begins to inspire something among the others. The others saying, did you see that? We can do something. Oh, there. All of a sudden they say, we understand how to do this. We, one has fallen, but, but we understand what we can do. That greater is he that is in us than, come on somebody. Look at that. And, 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 and so we begin to rally as a church and rally as one. And then look at this. Watch this. Watch this. He ain't dead. He ain't dead. But he needs somebody to help him. He's still struggling for life. But, and so the rest of the, can I say it, the rest of the church comes together and delivers him. And the church now stands up to have dominion against who has been called the what? The king of the beast. And now they come together 
and say, uh-uh, it ain't going to be this way. And they take back what God, oh, come on, somebody. Take back, that's, that's enough right there. That take, take back. The Bible says this. The Bible lets us understand that the enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, comes to what? Still kill it. Well, that, that's not the one I really want to do. The first Peter says to write the where's the scripture? Seeking who he may write, who he may devour. I'm all over this thing here. Where, where's this thing? Because there's another there's another scripture I want to get. Amen. 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 Bible says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. 2 Timothy 4.17 says, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Revelation 12.10 says, then I heard. A loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of the brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. That's what the Bible says about us. That's what the Bible makes us understand about us. That's what the Bible says about who we can be and what we can achieve when we walk by faith. I like this poem that, that says this. He says uh, uh, that, that uh, it's called the best poem in the world. And it says, I was shocked and confused and bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, nor the lights or its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp, the thieves, the liars, and the sinners, the alcoholics, and the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice, Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Bob, who I always thought was riding away in hell, was sitting pretty cool on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. And so I nudged Jesus. What's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How did all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought that they'd be seeing you. The you is the ones who thought that they had to fight this thing by themselves. But the delivered are those that realize that they are the strongs that come along behind them and beside them and help to deliver them. And when we talk about a church having dominion, we're talking about a church of those who come to understand the power of God in unity the power of God, when we come on one accord, the power of God is released, and I say released especially through our preemptive confessions. Say that word with me, preemptive confession. Say it again. As I said before, what is preemptive confession? Is when you confess before you get there, before you're the one left behind, before you're the one that the enemy finds easy prey. It's the things that we confess so that we are surrounded by the strong. That until we too become strong. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Sec now here, here's how this thing works. Second Samuel chapter 11 verse 1 to 3 gives us a lesson on preemptive confession. And in the Bible it says this, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Josh, Joab, 
and his servants with him in all Israel. And they all destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass at evening tide that David arose from Orpheus' bed, and he walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And the man said, Isn't this Bathsheba of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? In those first three verses, did you hear the text? Did you hear what I read? Because it's important for us to understand that in those verses lie the three chief agents of your personal destruction. In that text lies the three chief agents of your personal destruction. What are they? Number one, the first agent is the wrong time. Second agent is the wrong place. And the third agent is the absence of godly counsel. Let me say it again. Wrong, say it with me. Wrong time. Wrong place. Absence of godly counsel. What do we have in the text? We have a man, the king of Israel, great David, the man that was after God's own heart. It was David, the one who stood up and, and came against Goliath and, and declared that this filthy, uh, uh, uncircumcised Philistine cannot stand against the armies of God. It was this man that God was talking about to Saul. He says, I told Sam to tell Saul, I'm taking the kingdom from him and putting the command in the hands of one who's after my own heart. Here is David. He is a man of God. He loves God. There's not one person in this room or on this tape or on, on this uh, streaming or wherever you're going to hear this message. There's now probably one of you who's not a lover of God. You love God. You are seeking the face of God. You want the dominion that God has for you. But, somebody say but. But there's a reality that there's some stuff going on in your life that if you do not get a handle on it, if you do not confess it, if you do not address it with courage, it will be your personal destruction. In the text we find that he was the king. But it says that at a time when the king was supposed to be at war, at a time that he was called to engage the enemy, at a time when he was called to evangelize the world, to lift up the name of Jesus, to have dominion, I'm talking about you now, at a time you should be about your father's business, doing the work of God. At the wrong time, you decide to be in the wrong place. Sometimes the right place can be the wrong place. You can say that this is the king's house. This is my place. This is my roof. I should be up here. I have a right to be here. But yet it was in a time when ordinarily you would be away. And some of us who want to put all this on Bathsheba, is it not possible that Bathsheba said, my husband's at war. I know the king is at war. I know ain't nobody that can see where I am. So now I can say for me to be naked and bathe. But because he was at the wrong time, he was at the wrong place. And some places that we feel we have a right to be in and some things that we feel we have a right to access can become the wrong things at the wrong time. But the problem is that, well, sometimes we get confused. Sometimes stuff happens. What about then? Well, here comes the third element. He was in the wrong time at the wrong place, and he failed to have godly counsel. The Bible says that at that point he went to look and he said, oh, my God, what have we here? And so he called one of his men. Who's that? Now, instead of the guy saying, man, that's a married woman, what you're looking at that for? Turn around and get out of here. We ain't supposed to be up here. Come on, let's get out of here. 
instead of having someone challenge him, because he had a spirit of entitlement and arrogant pride, because after all, I'm the king. And after all, this is my house. And I can decide when I want to worship God and when I want to serve God and when I don't need to serve him. If I'm up here and I see that and I want it, I can have it. Just tell me her name. That's all I need to do. Don't try to counsel me or tell me anything else because I'm king. And we say, look at David. David took advantage of the position he had. David took advantage of the rights that God gave him. David really forgot who he is. But how often do we forget who we are? Because we think we're the kings and the queens over all that we possess. So that when counsel comes and spiritual counsel comes to counsel us otherwise, we don't have to hear it. Why? Because we have a spirit of entitlement. Because we feel we have been denied. Because we feel that we have been unfalsely accused. We feel that we have a right to our anger. We have a right to our expressions. We have a right to our racist views. We have a right to our, to, I never had, who came up and never had, it's my season, it's my time. Now that I have some resources, it's for me to spend it on me. Not on the things that the others say I should spend it on. How often do we make ourselves our own kings and queens? Even to the point of relationships. I love him. You don't have a job. I love him. He ran off on the last five women. He was on. I love him. I'm different. Why? Who told you there's anything different about you? I love her. Yeah, you better check again because that's what a couple other guys have been telling me. They, they say the same stuff and they, they got some stuff to prove. I love her. And I'm the king of my own heart. Sometimes in marriage counseling, not that I really want to get into that, but sometimes marriage counseling, there's a certain point and when they come in, I realize it's a lost cause. It's a point that you know that if you start saying, well, listen, I don't think that's a good idea. You just push them closer together. It'll be you and I, baby, against the world. And they say, I won't tell you all my secrets, so there's a way you have to deal with it then. There's a way, there's a direct approach, and sometimes you've got to take the round-the-corner approach. But, and it, but most of it all still deals with prayer, but their eyes will open up, and they'll understand and see. Lord, open their eyes, and they'll see. This, this thing about arrogant pride and entitlement caused the king not to hear the voice of reason. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? You know, when you talk about this thing called confession, Mark T. Parkley said these words, he said, Judas sinned, and instead of repenting to the person he sinned against, he repented to the person he sinned with. I'm going to say that again because that went right over your head. Let me say it again. Judas, when he sinned, instead of repenting to the person that he sinned against, instead of coming to the brethren of God, and even coming before the court, say, Lord, I have sinned against you. I made a mistake. He confessed. He confessed, but he went back to Caiaphas, the ones who put him up to it in the first place. He said, I did the wrong thing. What do they care about that? You were just a tool being used by us. That wasn't who you need to confess. We're not going to lead you back. In, we're not going to lead you into the sinner's prayer. We're not going to lay hands on you. We're just going to put our hands together and clap. You did a good job for us. Go to Jesus with your confession. Or go to his brethren with your confession. Go to the guys who can help you off your knees. Go to them who will gather around you and chase the devil and chase the enemy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now let me get something to you. Let me tell you what happens when we have leadership that fails to operate in this and when the strong fail to operate in the, into this. In David's own house, because he failed to really deal with his problem of spiritual entitlement, of entitlement, not spiritual, just entitlement and, and his arrogance. 
we recognize that he gave generational sins were established in his household. When we look at the story, this horrific story of Tamar, Absalom, and Ammon. How many are familiar with that story? Ammon, Absalom, and Tamar. The Bible says, I'm going to show you how this thing works. Because it wasn't in David. Time came when Ammon was, Ammon was sick to himself. His friend, Jonadab, came to him, and that was his first cousin, David's brother's son. He said, what's the problem? He says, it's, it's Tamar. I love her. I want her. I love her. So John, Jonadab says to him, well, if you want her, you, you're the king's son. Well, just go get her. So well, I, I can't really make that kind of move. You know, he said, well, no, 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 we can work this out. And it was his half-sister. But he works out a plan and says, listen, this is what we're going to do. And they played it out. They, 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 he asked his father, can Tamar come and feed have, Come and feed me? I'm sick. Can she come? And, and, and he said, okay, and let her come. And, and she was there with everybody else. And then he set it all up. And, and then he told everybody to get out the bedroom. Told her, come closer and feed me with your hand. And then when she came, he took her and he ravaged her. When he finished with her, he was through with her. I want to show you some things with that. I want to show you some things. But before I do that, she went to Absalom. Absalom, she told him what happened. And Absalom, as a result of that, make a long story short, set up an ambushment for his assassination for his brother. Killed him. And then he himself runs. And through all of this goings on, David did nothing. David did nothing. Now let me let, let, let's go back into the story a little bit. I want to show you something. Ammon was one who was in the wrong place, wrong time, wrong place, and was absent of spiritual counsel. He goes to Jonadab, his cousin. Instead of his cousin arresting him and telling him what he ought not to be doing, he agrees with him and helps the plot. And so Tamar goes down. And there's some things we need to see in this as we go forward. Do not underestimate the thing that's working inside you. One of the things I brought out for our women in this story is look at Tamar. For the women here, this is not the time to be silly. This is the time to understand traps. This is a time when we know that when we walk into a setup, we walk into a setup with our eyes wide open. Your eyes are not closed. You're not ignorant of the seasons and the times we live in. That as women that you should understand and be prepared to safeguard your virtue and your virtuous parts. Do you know what I mean? That as women that we understand and we see what's going on in the world today, in society today, and the way that women have been, uh, 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 have been objectified and how women have been used as sex objects instead of understanding the virtue of who you are. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want to help somebody today. I want to help you to understand that don't let your own curiosity allow you to be set up because there's a setup out there. Society has set you up to put you on the path to take sex as something as recreational instead of understanding it the way you create it. You cannot just play games with what is the most sensitive part of your relational nature. 
that as how God constituted you, unlike men who can compartmentalize and take realities and put them in a corner, that's why men can, in the past would be the firemen and the, and the soldiers and in the past would be the gunmen or the, the police officers or the ones or security officers. Not today so much. Now we have women who are joining them. But note this, as women now have assumed more and more of a man's role in society, and not to say you cannot, and not to say you cannot be CEOs and run businesses and run church, but yet there's a reality about you. That as more and more women get into this area of, of high stress, more and more of you are having heart attacks at a rate that's unprecedented. And the question one can ask why, it's not because there's an inferiority about you, but it's because it's a peculiarity about you. And the peculiarity about you is this capacity to, to deal with so many situations at the same time. At the same time, whereas men tend to compartmentalize, they'll take a problem and they'll put it in a corner and move on as if it doesn't exist. It's not to say they're not aware of it. It's not to say that they're immune to it. There's a, there is a stress that's associated with it. But it does help with a man's capacity to move out and to do jobs that ordinarily one would want to run in the opposite direction. It's got to be a certain kind of mentality for a man to want to run into a burning building instead of run out of a burning building. It's got to be a certain mentality of a man that's willing to go in a dark corner with a gun, knowing there's a gunman around the corner, and go towards him and turn and risk being shot. There's a, there's a stress load that comes with that. How do men do it? Because they find a way of taking this hunger to stay alive, this hunger to just relate to myself and keep going, to put it in another place so we can rise up for the occasion. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Women do it as well. But women will do it, and believe me, when men turn that corner, they're not thinking of their husband, their wives. Some of them might be thinking of their husband, unfortunately. But men are not thinking about their wives, they're not thinking about their children, they're not thinking about their future, they're not thinking about anything. But right now, i got to turn that corner. When a woman turns that corner, she's thinking, I hope someone takes care of my child when I die. I hope someone's going to deal with this. There's so many other things that women carry with them at all times. That's why some of us who are married realize that you just can't jump up and, and do things real quick. You've got to make sure everything's settled and the wife is very calm. At the time. We're good. Because the better she is, the better things will be. I'm getting a little deep now for the married folks. Otherwise, she'll take all that thing and it'll be right there in her mind while other stuff is happening that she's thinking about all those things too. And we're just thinking one thing, one track mind. We can do that. And so when you understand that part of a woman, realize that when the world is asking you as saved, sanctified, and realizing your, your vessels for God, that you have set us apart for God, and they say, what's wrong with you? What are you saving it for? Women that go to doctors and they say, were you still a virgin? What's wrong with you? Something that at once upon a time was a thing of pride is now is a thing of shame. You're almost ashamed to say you're not doing nothing. The world makes you feel ashamed, but the world doesn't deal. They deal with the physical aspect, which is fun. Yes, it's pleasure. But they don't want to deal with the spiritual, relational aspect because every time you do something, a part of you stays right there with the man that you did it with. We can act like we can run with them. But yet there's a part. How do you know? When Ammon finished with Tamar, the Bible said he despised her. He scorned her. He had just got finished raping her. She recognized all that. But the Bible says she sat there, and when he said, get out, she said, huh? Well, he just took what you didn't want to give him. Aren't you glad to get out? Aren't you glad to run? No, because now I, I belong to him. 
well, you can't like him too much. No, I don't like him too much, but he took a part of me. I belong to him. There's a part of me that now belongs to him. And what that says is this idea of recreational sex is not such a good idea for a woman. There's a price you pay. And we thank God it's a price that can be restored. That the God of relationships, that God can bring a healing in our emotions and bring a healing and, and, and restore more than the, the, the physical aspect. It is the emotional bruising and hurting that happens. And what about the guy? What about the guy that you just said can compartmentalize? Let me show you how he compartmentalized. He compartmentalized when he realized what he had done. When he came to himself and what he allowed himself to foolishly believe was love because love would never behave itself so unseemly. Love doesn't take, love gives. Love doesn't strip down and shame. Love covers and supports. Love waits and, until there's an emotional maturing because love says it's more than just having the physical woman. It's, it's having a heart. Love wants the heart. Lust wants the body. And so when, when he finished and saw what he had done, what he did was he didn't loathe her. He loathed himself. He saw himself. He realized what he was. And now understand what compartmentalization was. Because he saw what he was, he put it in the compartment and he handed it to her. He projected all of his self-loathing onto the woman. What did she do to deserve to be? Oh, you just, you just, you just abused me. But what did I do to make you hate me? Nothing. Other than to show me who I am. And when you show me who I was, I can't function until I release myself by putting the blame on you. How many men have abused their wives or their girlfriends. And then while, the, while it's all over, they come and say, why did you make me do that to you? Why did you make me hit you? Why did I make you hit me? How many men who go say, well, she shouldn't have been wearing her dress so short and showing me so much. She made me do it. She tempted me. It's her fault that I fell. Confession. He projected this onto Tamar. But the true confession would have been to acknowledge or to take ownership over the action. It was a gift God created for a woman to be for a man. It was a gift, but it's a gift that so many men abuse. And then they get up and they walk on as if it never happened. A man can have that incident or that interaction and it could be forgotten for him. But the more he does it, the more a part of his manhood is forgotten. The more of his dignity is forgotten. I had a friend that was in the Vietnam War, and he had said I had to get out. He said he'd sign up for two tours. He was ready to go for a third one until he realized what was happening, that he was enjoying the killing. A nice, honest, loving family man. But because he was constantly taking lives, his brain, in order to, to, to maintain 
His sanity caused him to see the act as something of pleasure, a hunt, a game, so that he can survive mentally until he caught himself and realized what he was becoming. This man, unchecked, was about to come back to society and become a mass murderer. America wonders why there's so much violence in our streets. Because we have sent too many men to war for too many years. And they just don't come and leave it there. It bleeds out in their nature. It bleeds out in, in their, their drug abuse. It bleeds out in their abuse at home. It bleeds out. You can't compartmentalize this. It's just like what they talk about trying to find what to do with this nuclear waste and put it in containers and, and bury it somewhere. They realize that it, it bleeds out and it contaminates. It contaminates the rest of who we are. What was Ammon's hope? Ammon's hope was Jonadab. Ammon's hope was that when he was challenged to confess, what's going on with you, bro? His hope was in Jonadab, but the problem was Jonadab was not a godly counsel. And so for all the Ammons out there that might hear this, don't confuse your confiding with your confessing. You confide to your running buddies, your cup buddies. You confide to them, but you confess to someone who's going to challenge you. Confess to someone who don't, doesn't run with the pack. You confess to those who walk in the pews. You confess to those who will let you know who you are. And understand this about the people that we confide to. People who we confide to don't have a spiritual bearing. The story goes on that when Aslan set up for the killing of Ammon. He had all the king's sons in his house. All he wanted was Ammon. The Bible says that when, when he killed Ammon, everybody was running, and a bad report got to the king before the truth. And the truth that, the, the fact, the report that David heard was that, that, that uh, Absalom had killed all your sons, all your sons, all the heirs of the throne, the dead. Absalom killed everybody. And he was, oh, he was tore up. Until Jonadab, the same Jonadab came and said, no, 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 calm down. It's all right. It's all right. It's only Ammon that's dead. It's only Ammon. Ammon's friend. Ammon's confidant. The one that helped Ammon to get set up to be assassinated. He told David, don't worry about it. It's just, it's just Ammon. Isn't that what our cup buddies do? The ones who counsel you wrong, and when you get busted, they're not around to hold you up and bear you up. Let me stop. What happens to us when we fail to have a godly counsel? Because of how we're constituted, the Bible tells us to walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In fact, I should give you that. How do we avoid this reality? Let me, let me just do this real quick. Number one, seek. Number two, study. With spirit. So you can remember it this way. Seek, study with spirit. Say that with me. Seek, study with spirit. How do I deal with the reality of me, my weaknesses? And I use the sexual aspect of David's fall and what happened to Ammon because of most of us in the room, there might be someone who has a problem gossiping in this room. There might be someone who has a problem stealing in this room. There might be somebody difficulty telling the truth all the time. Might be somebody, maybe, maybe not. Most likely not. I look in your faces, I see nothing but halos in the world. 
some halos brighter than others, but halos nonetheless. But there is one area of problem that I'm sure that 99% of us have. There's one, one, one of us in the room who doesn't have this problem at all. I don't know which one of you, but one of you. So, so feel all right. I'm probably talking about you. You don't have the problem, but the rest of them do, okay? So you don't have the problem, but the other folk around you, they got the problem. That is in the area of sensuality. That's in the area of sexuality. That's in the area of sex. Sex. Sex, the good thing that could be wrong. Almost in every case, lying is always wrong. Stealing is, almost, is always wrong. Gossiping is always wrong. Everything is always wrong but sex. Sex is a thing that is, in fact, very good. But in the wrong time, the wrong place, it could be very bad. And so sex is something that we struggle with, especially in this sexually liberated society that we live in when we see the images of sex, when we see the ideal of sex. And then especially women who are very relational, look, who learn how to give love and give sex in order to get love. That's the rule of the day. Give sex in order to get the love of the man you want. And men who learn how to lie then because they learn how to give love or talk love in order to get your sex. In this kind of society where it makes us all frauds and liars around this theme of sex, I used it to say probably one of the areas that we need to confess in is the area of sex. This thing can catch you at the wrong time. I'm in a hotel room just recently. I'm sitting there and I'm flipping through the channels there at this conference to talk about character over, over charisma. And I'm sitting there flipping through, and then boom, it hits, you know, I ain't, I ain't got no rated X channels, nothing like that. This is just plain old TV. And so, but, but how many of us realize plain old TV ain't plain old TV no more? And so I'm sitting there minding my own business, my wife about 500 miles or 600 miles away by myself in the middle of the night, and, one, you know, this can't go to sleep, so you're flipping the channel, and boom. Need I tell you what I saw? I don't need to tell you what I saw. Boom. And, and some of the ladies don't understand this, but the men will understand when certain things hit you at a certain time. More and more the women begin to understand this because stuff is happening. But, but the point is for a man to see that kind of stuff. And then the question is, what do you do with this? What do, the challenge is there. That's why a lot of preachers, when they go, go, go to these, these uh, 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 out on the field and all that, first of all, you don't go alone. And usually I have somebody with me, which I did, but I had a couple with me. So they had their own room. And then the second thing is that you, that, um, uh, they tell the folk, I'll disconnect my TV. I don't want nothing come up in here. Just for those occasions when the boom is on the screen and you didn't expect it. Sometimes on the computer they cer have certain uh, 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 websites and all that that tell you one thing. High praises to God. Say, so, oh, I want to hear about high praises to God. And boom. You see a woman's anatomy come flying at you out the screen and say, what? And then you try to take it off. And then in this, it won't. Do I have a witness out there, brother? It won't come. And you trying. Sisters, they trying. We trying. And can you believe it if your wife come walking in at that point and say, what are you watching? No, it's not like that. I'm telling you it's not. Look, try. No, I'm leaving. I, no, no, no. Come look. It won't go off. I didn't. It, it, says, it says high praises to God. But because men are wired to be stimulated by sight, and there's a reason why we wired that way. Because we men, we, there's so much stuff we can get involved in that has nothing to do with a woman that if God says, you know what, these guys, they will never procreate. But they'll be busy playing basketball. Come on, honey, let's play basketball. Well, don't you want to? Nah, let's play ball. Let's go hunting. Let's go fishing. We'll even go to the mall. Let's go to the mall. But God puts something in us 
while we're out there hunting, and this is me, Arthur, and, and, and Warren, we're out there hunting and say, boy, this is great. We're out here in the wild. We hunting, and, and we just have a great time out here, and uh, we didn't even feel like going back. Warren be married soon, so I put him in. We don't want to go back to our wives. We, let's just hang out here. But, but after a while, you know, you're out there hunting, and, and I'll look at, at, at Pastor Arthur, and I don't, I, I don't want to see Arthur no more. I, I look over on the other side, and I, I don't want to see Warren no more. And they're looking at me and say, we certainly don't want to see you no more. And though this was great for a while, but right about now, Sister Alverna's looking real good to Brother Arthur. And Sister Adrian be looking real good to Brother Warren. And, and Lorna looking, even at my age, she's still looking real good. And uh, let's put the guns in the car and go back home. <laughs> about two or three speeding tickets later, we're all home. Honey, we missed you. That's how we wired. We wired by that. We'll come home and say, we tired. We didn't go see your mama because we tired. We just want to go home. We tired. We're not going to the mall again. We're tired. And she says, okay, you tired. Let's go home. So we go home. And we go straight to bed. Don't even go by the kitchen. Straight to bed. And we say, ah. And then she'll come in. And she figured you're asleep by now, whatever. And, but she's changing clothes. And, you know, she's in the midst of changing clothes and turn on the lights. So you mad and and then you look over there and see the light, and you look and say, oh, oh. And then the next thing she wanted to know is, where would you get all this energy from? You lied to me. You see, you didn't want to take me to the mall. You didn't want to see my mama. And we say, no, it had not. No, I was, I was tired, but. But women don't understand the but. You don't understand men. And you see, if you understood men, then it's 1 o'clock in the morning when they say, well, I dropped you off. Can I come up and get a little, I want to use your bathroom or I want to get a little something to drink and I come up and that. No. No. I, well, he's a deacon of this. No. Well, he don't let to be my father. No. Now, what are you saying, Pastor? You say, every man that says I want to drink a boy that's, that he wants something else. Every, no, I'm not saying that. That maybe deacon did want to come up. I know you have one deacon, so I ain't talking about this deacon I'm talking about. Or maybe the elder did want to just come up and get a water, or, or, or the brother really just wants to do that. And he's going maybe nine times out of ten. But the fact is, there will be the time when it ain't about water. And when you put yourself in a bone position, that men know how to take your no's and turn them into yes. They know how to work on your emotions and your feelings. You need to know yourself. Because sometimes, sometimes you are tired and all of a sudden you ain't no more too. And Tamar should have had some counselors around and say, you ain't going up in your brother's room like that. You're a half-brother. You know in this time and day and age we live in that it's okay. He's a man. He ain't your half-brother. He's a man. Nah, we're going to come up in there with you. And if he send us out, you say, when they say, oh, send them all out, just come and put your hand on my forehead and feed me. And so, okay, listen, you know what? I'll do that uh, tomorrow at the king's table. But right now I'm going out with my friends. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not staying here. You're not my king to order me. But too many women allow men to take that arrogant and place of entitlement and lead us astray. And so what am I saying? It means that you need to have somebody that you need to talk to about who you are and how you are and when you are. Not just about sex, but different areas of your lives. All of us, male and female. We need to have that so we don't end up in an Amen Tamar situation. Because sexual sins is the, the under, 
it is the source of erosion of every great empire. When they trace, the, when they have established themselves, whether it's the Greek or whether it's the Roman, that behind it is sex, immorality. And sexual sins usually open the door to other kinds of abuses. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, what do we do? What is the answer? Seek. Seek. How to be strong. Seek. The Bible says to us that we are, we are to, uh, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsts for thee, my flesh bringeth for thee, uh, longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land. We sing that song, there ain't no water, in Psalms 63.1, seek the face of the Lord. And when do we seek him? Proverbs 8.17 says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Early shall find. Set the, set the tone of your day by seeking the face of God. Not just early, all the time. Er, morning, evening, and at noon will I call and cry aloud. The Lord will hear my voice. Secondly, so you seek the Lord. Numbers two, study. You already know that one. Second Timothy two fifteen. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, not be dividing the word of truth. Study the word of God. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, the scriptures say. Let the word of God, the truth of God. After you seek his face and fall in love with him, you want to hear his words. Let that be your drive. Let that be the overarching drive of your life to the point that all the other voices that try to seduce you and to tell you it's okay, it's all right, we do it too. Don't worry about it. Let the seeking and the study. And in how does it activate Galatians chapter 5, 16 and 25. And that's, that's key, and I'll spend just a little, read a few more scriptures of that. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust, flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if, we, if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, and there are a few of them, adultery, fornication, wickedness, uh, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, all that, and others. The works of the Spirit, envy, murder, drunkenness, and more. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. So if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The power of God is able to energize what you study and make your seeking work in your life. And so finally, if someone is caught in the fault, you who are spiritual, restore him gently. Restore him gently with listening, caring, confessing, supporting, leading him. Being that, comp being that confessor, being the one that will strengthen him. Amen? The 3S approach. Seek, study, with spirit. Seek, study, with spirit. Amen? So, I went long, so let me stop. Believe it or not, we've got Bishop Caesar's church. I spoke for 35 minutes, not on this, something else. But today, I want to make this appeal to you. God has called you to be a dominant voice. Your dominators. Ask yourself, what am I exporting? 
what am I exporting to others that secures my position of dominion? Don't leave it for the pastors and the elders of this church and the deacons to be the ones who are the strong, dominant voice. You guys are the ones to do the exploit. We're just here to hold your jackets. We're just here to cheer you on. We're just here to support you. We give a few dollars in the offering. We're just here to know. God is calling you to be unified, a unified voice of domination for his honor.